BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, friends, and welcome to the Papaya Podcast. I'm your hostess, trying her mostest, Sarah Nicole, and each week I'm going to be dishing out some sweetness mixed in with some seeds of wisdom or something like that. So get ready to get inspired, get candid, get real, because we are all in this digital space together. All right, everyone, I am so happy to be back today. I am going to disclaim right now that I will completely nerd out on this episode. This is a completely different style of podcast guest than we normally have. Normally with Papaya Podcast, there's like this remarkable story and this like really cool twist and turn and like something that we'll learn from it. And that might happen today. No promises because I'm genuinely just so excited to have one of my favorite podcasters on here. And I'm going to let you take it from here. Christy Lee. Hi, how Hi. are you? <laughs> I am so great. It is so surreal. She just realized right now that I listen to her podcast, but it's surreal talking to you in real life because I'm so used to your voice being Canadian true crime podcast. Like, <laughs> like you are just, you're the one who has like this, these incredible storytelling things that you do. And I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> well, I feel the same way about you. I mean, I've been seeing you on Instagram. I've listened to your podcast, all of your episodes. I've been binging it. I can't get Aww. your theme song out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> I love that little jingle. Yeah. I always find the theme songs is the thing that hooks me though, because like, especially yeah. with the, with the crime ones. Oh, that's the other one I was just finished listening to, To Live and Die in LA. Oh, They've right. got a great little, and that song, it just like gets me in the mood for yeah. it, right? But I have a friend who has a podcast and she has her own jingle. And I'm like, I want my own jingle. Like I want, they, they like literally had somebody write a song for their opening thing. Did you do that at all? Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Originally I used like a, a stock track. Yeah. But I have a, a musician friend that helps me out. He's He goes by the name We Talk of Dreams and he wrote my theme song like based on kind of a creative brief that I gave him. I yep. like it bassy. So I, I apologize to all the people who um, like complain it. about people complain the bass when they're in the car. They say it makes their speakers um, oh. <laughs> go a bit crackly. I'm like, oh, maybe I mean, you should upgrade your stereo. No. <laughs> no, I get that. I Sometimes I listen to podcasts and I always feel bad when like I've burst out laughing and all of a sudden there's like this huge burst of like sound. And especially, yeah. you know, when somebody's wearing AirPods, you're like, oh gosh, so sorry. Like I try to be so cognizant of that moving forward. But yeah, you have this like, it, it's kind of funny listening to a Canadian podcast, yet you have this like soothing Australian accent. How did you land in Canada? <laughs> like, I feel like there's so many layers to this, but how the heck did you land from Australia to Canada and become this Canadian true crime podcaster? Oh, it's, it's the most ridiculous story. I'm here for it. Uh, so back in 2006, I was working at a job and I was the marketing manager and I met this guy there who just started fresh out of university and he was the IT help desk guy. And very soon we became like the Jim and Pam of the office. Oh my gosh. Why are you describing my exact relationship with my husband? I assumed so. This is, I was like, <laughs> like, are you just telling my story? Right down to like I, the IT guy? Like, come on. Oh, yours is the IT guy? Shane was this, oh, Shane geez. was the tech guy. He was the CTO. Yeah. Oh, geez. <laughs> Gosh, keep going. That was just weird. Well, Jim and Pam. <laughs> yeah, so we're both pretty shy, kind of introvert types. So immediately we saw something in each other and 
we became very good friends. But mm-hmm. it, it took like eight months and getting a little drunk at the work Christmas party for us <laughs> to actually kind of take things to the next level. So from then on, like that was it. We were a couple. Um, yeah. And I had already known that he wanted to move to Canada one day. So he said to me, you know, I have a five-year plan. In five years, I want to be living in Canada. And I'm like, why? Why? And uh, he's into the NHL. Okay. So he's obsessed with the NHL and he was actually into the Phoenix Coyotes, like surprisingly. That's so funny. You're just staring at me blank face. I'm just like. It's so random. I think it is. (laughs) It is so random, but it's also like you went from Australia to Canada for (laughs) hockey. I mean, I get it, but I'm also like, have you been here for one? Well, you've been here for winters now. Like, oh gosh. So I guess the main thing is that I have very pale skin and I'm not into the sun. I'm like, I'm a dark person. I like being in the shade. I like the nighttime. So Australia really isn't a country where I felt comfortable with the like sun and and beach culture. Like I can't stand the beach. I don't like the sand, like the the salt water, like gets in my eyes. And it's just, I don't know. It's just never been, I, I really enjoyed living there, but like the nature aspect of the country didn't really resonate with my personality. And same with my husband as well, really. So anyway, we kind of made a plan. And over the next two years, we put the plan in action. We came over here and we followed the Phoenix Coyotes from Phoenix to Vancouver to Montreal. And then we came to Toronto, decided we'd move to Toronto. And then we got married in 2009. And then three months later, we resigned from our jobs and just moved over here. We landed here in Toronto with a suitcase each. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then just a box of kind of keepsakes that we kept back home and we would ship over when we were settled. Yep. And straight away we were, you know, looking to find jobs and stuff. And it was horrendous. I like the second I stepped off the plane, I started getting these massive anxiety attacks and it was honestly, it was the worst time of my life that, that first four months. That's a lot of change. Like it makes sense, but it doesn't make it any easier when you're trying to go through like, that's such a bold move. Yeah. So I can understand how difficult that would be for sure. It was bizarre because we never really thought about it. It was just kind of like, okay, we're moving to Canada, but we never actually felt like realized how it would feel once we got off the plane. It was just horrendous. And I was, you know, looking for a job and, you know, we came over with our five page resumes, which was common in Australia back then. And I'm like, why isn't anyone calling us? Blah, blah, blah. And then uh, our bank manager took pity on us and she said, look, I've looked at your resumes and you ain't getting anywhere with a five-page resume in Canada. And I'm like, what? What's what are you wrong supposed with my to resume? have? You have to have a one-pager? It's a two-pager. Oh, two-pager. <laughs> I was like, I haven't written a resume in a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't now either, thank God. But I'm like, what? where am I supposed to put all my goals and objectives? <laughs> my goals? And you're so darling. Oh my gosh. I used to one time, I put my resume on pink paper because I adhered to the L Woods type of thing of like, it'll stand out in the stack. I did get that job. So anybody listening, you never know. That's amazing. It stood out in the, in the, they're probably like, who's this girl who put it on pink paper? The audacity. The audacity, right? I also, I think Elle Woods also spritzed hers with perfume or something, but I mean, inspirational. Yeah. So you've got, she, she takes pity on you. You've got your two page resume now. Yeah. So I got my two page resume, but my anxiety attacks were just off the chart. And because we had, we didn't have a job. Like luckily by this time, actually my husband did have a job. You have oh, to good. wait three months before you can get OHIP. So okay. I'm like, oh, I won't go to the doctor. I won't go to the doctor because I don't have any health coverage. And then uh, finally I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. I would wake up in the middle of the night, just gasping for oh. air and just going, this is my life now. I'm going to end up on the street. No one's ever going to hire me. Like, yeah, it was horrendous. So I like, bowled my way into the doctor, like broke down. I said, I I need, I need help with, with this. I can't, I can't live anymore. And yeah. luckily, you know, she put me on some medication and within about six weeks, I was feeling much better, but Good. you know, the residuals always stick by you. Yeah. And it was soon after that, that I was, I was offered a job and I'm so triggered by that whole experience that I'm still with the same company 10 years later. I've just really? been so like scared to go through that experience of putting myself out there again. So do you currently still work full time? Yeah, I while do. While doing the podcast? Yes. <laughs> what? 
I know it's crazy. Okay. So just to give context to your podcast, unless people don't listen, which I hope at the end of this, you do because listen to her voice. It's so soothing. And then she tells you about crime. Um, <laughs> okay. But like, there's a lot of work involved in those. Yeah. Like every single episode you're researching. I mean, everybody else I've ever listened to, it is their full-time job that they're doing these types of things. How have you managed to be able to do this podcast on top of everything else? Well, it's kind of taken over my life, to be yeah. honest. Um, so say, aren't you on like tour? <laughs> no, 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 no. You've done some. I did a live show in Toronto. I toured Toronto, like okay. one venue in Toronto. All right, no, all kidding. right. Still. Yeah, I do it every night after my kids are in bed. Yep. And yeah, that that's basically it. Every single night. <laughs> Except so, once, a, once a month when I have a social outing with friends. Good for you. That's kind of necessary. <laughs> so why... Why crime podcast? Why the podcast at all? Right. What puts you into that place? Because you were kind of doing this before... I wouldn't, maybe not even before, but like for me, I, I always just assume everything's happened in the time that I've come to know it. Like for me, I've only just started listening to crime podcasts in the last year. So I'm like, you must have known this forever. <laughs> maybe they were popular years ago. I don't know. How did you land on, land on doing this at all? Yeah. So that, that is a, another story in itself. So after my husband and I had been living here for a couple of years and, you know, we had our full-time jobs, we were set up, we had, we had a nice house. We're like, okay, now it's time. By this time I was 33 and okay, maybe it's time to, to start trying to get pregnant. So, you know, we, we were lucky. We had a, a baby, a, a son in 2012. And I just felt like I'd lost my identity. Mm. Like as a mom, I've never been an overly maternal person. And yes. I guess you could say that we both made a decision to have kids with our heads and mm -hmm. not our hearts. We mm -hmm. just kind of thought we have this wonderful relationship mm -hmm. and so much love to give. And like that, that is an amazing reason to bring a child into our family. But I didn't feel like a deep yearning to be a mother like I've heard other people feel. Okay. So when I had this baby, I just felt so disconnected. Like, I'm just like, what am I doing with my life? Right. Like, yeah. And I was like, why did I do this? So it was like instant regret. Mm. And that was something that I, I really kind of had to settle into my new identity. And I, I got to pause because like, I love that you said that though, because I was a girl growing up that my sister really loved babysitting. She loved kids and I, and I enjoyed kids, but I didn't like babysitting. I didn't like being responsible for somebody's kids and having right. my own, I, I wanted children. And I, but again, I think I liked the idea of children. I liked the idea of being a mother, but I didn't, I don't think a hundred percent understand what it would mean and what it would take. And I yeah. didn't really have a lot of those. I, I think I had some maternal instincts. My mother is a, a very, like she's the maternal instinct that, that there is, but I came into parenting very, very differently where it, it did feel like a shock to the system when you described that, that it felt the same way. And I was immediately searching for things to do to keep my mind alive. Like that's essentially when people ask, like, when did you start like birds pie and stuff like that? I'm like, it was literally in the pits of motherhood because I was so lost in it that I was like, I need to do something for me. And so I started blogging. Right. And so it's like these extensions of yourself while being in, and I never liked mummy groups. I, I struggled even taking them to the park. Like I didn't relate to motherhood as this like beautiful thing that everybody else did. But right. once I settled into that, once I was like, I'm just different, I've actually enjoyed motherhood so much more. Like I've enjoyed it in the sense of like, I actually get to define what this looks like. And I'm actually giving myself permission to do these things. And I, and I don't have to love going to craft circles and I don't have to do that kind of stuff. Like it's okay if like our activity today is like wandering the aisles of Target and like playing games in those aisles, like whatever that was. I mean, I, my kids turned out all right. Like I'm, I'm happy with the humans that they are and the humans that they're becoming. But I just really like, I appreciate that you said that because it's such a hard thing to articulate when yeah. people become moms. Cause it feels weird to say like, well, I didn't really love it. Or I didn't really feel super comfortable with it. Or it's like this overwhelming, like, yes, you love your children, but it doesn't always feel like this overwhelming maternal, like, bond and need and all of that stuff. Like sometimes it's a, it's a little bit more than that. And, and not everybody has that. And I don't think that that's a wrong thing. I think it's potentially was really good for you because it ended up channeling you into this essentially. Yeah. Well, a bit later on, but it's funny. We're told as women that 
as soon as we give birth that those maternal instincts will kick in. And I just always assumed that that would happen with me and it just didn't. No. And, you know, obviously I ended up being diagnosed with postpartum depression and it it wasn't severe. Yes. It it kind of manifested itself a more of a, well, this is my life now. It's going to be crap. I'm going to have to grin it and bear it. It's a life of servitude. This is what I'm doing now. Yeah. And after about two months, and I was the same as you, I'm like, I don't want to hang out with other mums. They're all going to be, you know, boring and we're going to talk about our babies. And they yeah. have, like, they've got everything together. And I'm just like, we're barely surviving. Like, yeah. And there's I, always like, they describe the different types of moms and like they, they talk about the helicopter moms and the free range moms and the bulldozer parents. And I'm like, I'm, I'm a survivalist. Oh my God. Absolutely. <laughs> Whatever works today is what we're doing. <laughs> and I haven't thought about it. I haven't read, like, I love when people are like, what, what, did, what books would you recommend reading about parenthood? I was like, I have yet to read one. <laughs> I didn't do any of it. Right. So like, it's one of those things. So I know it's, yeah, it's crazy. Well, I, I guess after a couple of months, I was so lonely and so depressed yeah. that I was desperate to talk to anyone during the day. So even if it was one of those crafty mums that was going to make me feel yep. even crappier than what I already did, I guess I, I got on that meetup website and I said, oh, there- oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, it was back back in 2012. It might oh, okay. still be now. And I, I posted, I'm like, is there any mums in, in this area? I was living in Oakville at the time. And I said, I, you know, I really want to meet some of you. I saw them walking around with their strollers yeah. and I was hoping that they would be on this meetup site. And they were, I arranged this meetup down at the park on a Wednesday morning and about 12 other mums showed no up. Way. Yeah. And so I, I'm like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. But before you knew it, like they were all the same as me. I love that. <laughs> They I were love all that. lonely. Like, yeah. And they in that were same all kind like, of like situation. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they all sense. felt so like out of their element. And they were just so grateful that that there was something happening where they could meet other moms. I love that. Yeah. So that really like transformed my mat leave. And I, I wouldn't say that I got my identity back because I was still struggling with that. Yeah. And, but that really helped. And then, you know, I went back to work after 10 months and and my husband took some paternity leave. And then one year and 11 months later, I'd given birth to my second kid. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then the same thing happened again. But luckily a whole bunch of the mums from the first mat leave came back for the second mat leave with yep. their other kids. So it all kind of worked out again. But again, I was still struggling with my identity. Like I was still struggling with being a mother and living this life of of just servitude and work. Yes. And then at work, one of my friends said to me, hey, you've got to listen to this podcast called Serial. And, oh, um, it's a juicy one. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, podcasts. Like that sounds like something old people would do, like sit around. Oh, it sounds like radio. Yeah. I'm I like, literally resisted it forever. On the transistor, like the AM, <laughs> whatever you call it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so she's, she like, actually downloaded the app onto my phone and showed me how to listen. And then I listened, I like binged the entire like first yep. season. That of was serial. Was Adnan. that Adnan? Yeah. 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 I remember. And that. then I was like, holy crap. And so I was like searching for every single true crime podcast I could find. I was like consuming them. Like there was nothing else in my life. And I found that it really turned my life of chores and tasks into me time. So so when I was cooking dinner, I had You're a podcast listening. on. <gasps> that's and just like me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. No, that's literally because I think we're so, in terms of that, like, podcasts, I think have, have done this thing with me, even with driving, I had really bad driving anxiety. And I found that listening to music almost feels like chaos. Like you're driving and there still feels like a bit of chaos, but with the podcast, you're so, your brain is almost focused on this thing and you're focused on the road that you don't have this focus on the millions of different things that might go wrong on the drive, which is like usually like lane changes would be an issue for me or things like that, or or things like doing the dishes felt so mundane. And so like, I don't want to be doing this right now. But when you have a podcast, Cast on. I would even listen to true crime when I was at the gym. Like I would have it on totally. because I was like, I can go forever because I needed, like, I needed to finish the episode. Yeah. They completely like it became this way to enjoy the mundane moments of life by having this like storytelling happening in the background that kind of made it feel exciting and purposeful. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I it, so relate to that. 
Yeah. So it's like if I'm folding the washing, I'm, I've got a podcast yep. on. Like when I'm mowing the lawns, like the most annoying thing ever. Yep. I'm the listening to you a don't want to do. Yeah. yeah. And oh it just gosh. makes the time fly. And it just had such an impact on my life. Mm. At the same time, you know, I was so into it. I was joining all the Facebook groups. And then I saw a whole bunch of people saying like, why isn't anyone covering Canadian cases? At oh. the time, the, the only podcast covering Canadian crimes was CBC's some, Someone Knows Something. Oh, I haven't listened to that one. I've listened to all the, the Uncover ones. Yeah. So uh, Someone Knows Something covers mysteries and unsolved cases. And then also my friend uh, Jordan from the Nighttime Podcast who covered Canadian crimes but also other things kind of on the fringe okay. of society. So there was no one concentrating exclusively on Canadian crimes. I got this like seed of an idea in my head and then I was thinking, oh, you know, you could do this. Like I have a, a background in writing and marketing and communication. Okay. So I have that skill set. I had no skill set in audio production, anything. I'd never recorded. I I had no concept of what my voice might sound like to somebody. In fact, I find my own voice incredibly annoying. No, I think it's so great. <laughs> I just think it's still hilarious listening to an Australian <laughs> on a Canadian podcast. But no, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but I, Canadians love Australian accents, though. Like, yeah. have, you, have you grown to know that now? Absolutely. Because yeah. even like a lot of my friends, like they've switched their GPSs and their Siri yeah. and like their Google Homes to Australian accents because it's like this soothing. I don't know what it is about it, but it's so endearing. I always wonder why more Australian men don't just come over here because like the women are just like the second they open their mouths, they're like, hi, like, I know. Who, who are you? We're so addicted to it. Like we love it so much. I will say this without hopefully not offending anybody. I can't listen to British accents the same way. <gasps> I cannot. I don't know what it is. I don't know why my brain functions that way, but British accents, like they fall flat in my brain. Like all British accents? Like accents, I cannot. There's so many of them. I know. I am. No, I would say probably not all of them. However, I can't watch even like a British TV show, for instance, because I can't connect. Wow. I think I'm like so distracted by their accents that I can't wear like Australian for whatever reason, even though they don't really feel all that different. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's, it ends up being soothing for me. So I don't know what's wired differently in my brain that does that. But anyways, I think it's, you've got a great podcasting voice. I quite like it. <laughs> Thanks. So, it, you're so welcome. I didn't know how it would be received, but anyway, like back to the story before I get to the whole. I know I'm the worst at interrupting. No, <laughs> no, I not, am. You're not, I, I heard you say that on one of your, on your I get Q and A's. Oh my gosh. I get complaints all the time. And I'm like, listen, this is the first that I'm doing my best. That's so brutal though. Cause I, I find you to be a very like natural conversationalist Aww. rather than an interviewer. Like you're not just asking questions and waiting for answers. Right. You're actually having a conversation. And that's why I like doing them in person. Yeah. Cause it feels like so much more genuine, but yeah. So sorry, go back to the story. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. Yeah. Anyway, there were, there were a couple of other podcasts covering Australian crime. So I'm like, well, I don't want to go and do that. Right. And also like I have been living in Canada for at the time it was seven years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've lived a lot of these cases, as you are aware, the, the Tim Bosma case, um, down Ooh, in recent. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And, and so I, I kind of lived that as it happened. Right. And I'd always been kind of obsessed with the Carla Homolka, Paul Bernardo thing. Yeah, that was a big one too. And I think it's, I think it's really, what I like about crime podcasts is that it takes a very messy and misconstrued story over so many different media outlets and it puts it into this like pocketed version of it. Right. It's almost like the Coles notes, but it's, it's in a yeah. storytelling version. So you end up coming away with like a little bit more grasp on what happened, like in terms of, you know, cases like Paul Bernardo, which are so, so infamous. But to this day, like, I don't truly know the, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know it to be able to sit down and just like hear it in an hour. Like it, it seems so, so twisted and all over the place. So I, that's why I love, I love the crime podcast for that because they simplify it almost. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and there's lots of different kinds, you know, some of them are, are more journalistic. They, yeah. they, it's, it's an exploration into characters and that yes. type of thing with interviews. And then there's others which are my, like mine, which are more storytelling podcasts where I, you know, take um, snippets of information from across the media and, you know, daily news articles. Like mm -hmm. you don't have time to read every single exactly. article that comes out on a case and you'll miss a lot of stuff. So I think 
that's kind of where my skill set comes in by bringing all this information and aggregating it and turning it into kind of a flowing narrative. Right. So, and how long does that process take for you? Well, I guess it depends case by case. It does. Yeah. Some cases are super long. Others are, are fairly short. I release an episode twice a month. Yes. And I would say it takes about 25 hours of research and writing. Um, but I'm lucky now that I, I hire a lot of freelancers oh, to good. help me out with that. Yep. So yeah. And then obviously there's the recording part, which mm-hmm. usually takes about two hours. And then I have an editor who yep. edits my podcast, but I, I still lay all the music down myself and choose it. Cause I'm, wow. I, I was a musician when I was younger and I'm really obsessed with music. So that's like well, a, that's big a thing fun for thing me. for yeah. you. Yeah. That's yeah. a creative part. Okay. So a couple questions. Yes. First of all, you're doing this and you're doing it on the side, but you, this is, this is a big part-time job Yeah, and you have a very heavy listening base. Like I read somewhere that you have like a hundred thousand downloads. Yeah. About well, it's, that. it's about 200,000 it per really? episode now. Oh yeah. my gosh. Congratulations. Whatever I read was a little out of date. That's incredible. I've heard that like a successful podcast has like, or one that's like really high ranking has like 50,000 downloads and you're talking like you quadrupled that. That's insane. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, do you ever see this being a full-time gig for you? Oh, uh, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I, or do you think that would almost like take away the fun of it? Like, I don't know. Cause I feel like once you bridge from one to the other, like maybe it would be like, oh, this isn't like my fun nighttime thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how it would feel. Well, it's funny. When I first started, I was like, yes, you know, I'm going to learn how to do this. I wrote the script I, and then I'm like, oh, I have a script. Um, now I need to learn how to record and edit. Yep. And I did yep. everything myself. And it was a, it was such a journey. It wasn't, it wasn't like a destination of creating a podcast. It was the journey of learning how, mm. and that was the challenge for me. Yeah. And then after I released the first episode, I was like, oh crap, now I've got to find something else to, to talk about. So I, you know, selected the next case and I was just kind of doing it at my leisure at the yep. time. And I had a really strong passion for continuing it and creating you know, crafting the podcast. But then around episode six, I, I got my first sponsor oh. and um, it was Penguin Random House. And I was so excited that they contacted me directly. And I'm like, oh no, now I'm going to have to like set up some kind of publishing schedule. And that was hard because right. I didn't know like, okay, what am I going to do with different length cases and true, true, episodes? True. Yep. You know, I tried my best. I was uh, releasing an episode every kind of two and a half to three weeks mm-hmm. at the time. Just and then, kind of as you finish them, releasing yeah. them, not really on a schedule. Yes, gotcha. exactly. And then, you know, I got another sponsor and then they kind of wanted a more tighter release schedule. So I'm like, okay, so I'll try for, for two times a month. And I just found that with, with the kind of business side mm-hmm. of things, it was starting to overtake the actual like production of the podcast. Yes. So at that point I got a a listener emailed me and said, Hey, I'm an audio producer. And I used to have a music studio back in the nineties and there was like a financial crisis and he lost his music studio and he wanted to try his hand at podcasting. And I'm like, you really want to edit my breathing and, (laughs) and my like annoying mouth noises and stuff. And he's like, yes. Oh my gosh. So, so he started editing my podcast and he still does it now. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. And it's funny because he won't get paid in cash. He he says, nope, just send me a gift card if you feel like you have to do me, you know, send me something. So I pay him an Amazon gift card. That's hilarious. <laughs> so he's on it. He must be just a fan at this point. Must be so fun. Like I, I, yeah. as much as I can understand that you would be like, oh, that doesn't seem fair. Your podcasts are such juicy content. Like it would be so fun to edit stories like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess, but when you're sitting there and he's got my my annoying breathing noises and then I'm like... Whatever. Yeah, he must I, love it. He's used to it by now. And I, God knows I've given him so many outs and he yeah. never takes them. Yeah. So I pay him the going rate, yeah. but in Amazon gift cards. Amazing. <laughs> and how has like, when did you realize that this was, this was working? Like this was a big deal. You know, you've got some sponsorships and stuff, but I mean, to get to the point of being at 200,000 downloads, I mean, that is unheard of for a lot of podcasts. When did you realize like this was a lot bigger than you ever kind of maybe imagined? Well, I kind of started getting an inkling probably about six months in. Okay. And I honestly, I think a lot of it 
was timing because there was nobody else doing it. Exactly. And also the kind of shtick of it being by an Aussie and yep. people really took to my voice and my accent a lot yes. more than what I expected. I, yes. I expected a lot of pushback. Like, what the hell are you, do you think? <laughs> like, how dare you come into yep. our space? Yep. Not that I would think Canadians would ever act like that, but you know, imposter syndrome. Yeah, of course. <laughs> the true imposter syndrome. Yeah. You're literally from a different Yeah, literally an imposter. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, things kind of started ramping up. And I guess because I went to university to do marketing, uh, I have, you know, a basic business degree. Mm -hmm. And then I've been doing marketing for uh, and communications for, you know, 20 years now. So it's, it would kind of be a big deal for me to quit my job and go into this kind of entrepreneur space, which I'm not comfortable with. I never intended to start like a thing that I would quit my job for. I just kind of wanted to challenge myself and and find my identity again. I love that though. And I think that's such a nice message too, is that not everybody has to like jump into it. Like it doesn't have to be that you're all of a sudden doing four episodes a month or that you quit your job. I think a lot of people aspire to those things, but it's also okay if you want to do it as like a side gig or, or something that truly like, how's your mental health and everything been now with having this? This is literally like my life trying to do a podcast (laughs) at home. Like my animals. She has the cutest animals. Oh my God. They're the worst though. They, (laughs) I swear they like have spidey sense of, Oh, (laughs) mom's doing a podcast. Let's do, let's make all the sounds. But how have you found now that you've had this thing that has become this creative tool for you? Has it helped you in motherhood? Has it helped you with your mental health? And like, how has your family responded to this whole thing? Yeah, that's a whole other thing. So my kids are five and seven. They don't really understand what of a podcast course, no. is no but they know that I that I they can't really listen to it because they'll no. probably get nightmares <laughs> probably the worst kind <laughs> yeah they know that that's what I do at night yeah. after they've gone to bed but it's funny because another reason why I started it where aside from like losing my kind of identity through motherhood yep. was that at night my husband he's a gamer right like a lot of IT guys yep. I wonder if yours is too he can be but oftentimes like and if he does it he's gone like he's yeah. he, like see you tomorrow like it's <laughs> it's not a thing he's more of like but I understand it because as much as everyone talks about like gaming and stuff like that, and I understand it can be a really frustrating thing for a lot of people. However, I know what it's like. I used to walk into his office and see screens and screens and screens of work. And I can't imagine what your brain functions like. And my son's the same way. Sometimes he comes home and he'll be like, it's not that I want to play a video game. He's like, I need to play one. Like he needs to tune off and do something else. So when it does happen, I actually quite love it. I, I like that he, he turns to that over other things. And, but yeah, it can be a little isolating once they're like into gaming zone and it's like four hours of their life is going to be gone to whatever that is. Right. I always knew that he was into gaming. So we always made it so that the couch and the computer were in the same room so that at least we would be in the same area. I love that. But I would um, not do that. I'm like, (laughs) I don't want to see your house that you're building in Minecraft. He's doing Minecraft with the kids right now. And he's like, yes, sucks so them all mine. away. So I literally sit in the living room by myself and all of them go upstairs. I'm like, well, you know what? This isn't even fair because I don't even get that block game. I know, right? Don't get I it. Do, I don't get any games. Don't get it. Anyways. But yeah, <laughs> that's nice. That's actually a really good idea. Yeah. So you're well, in the room together. He's playing games and you're doing the pod. Yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah. And he then he built like a special desk, right? So we could actually sit next to each other. So he would play oh, games. He's a romantic. He, yeah, oh. he is. But I guess after a while, the podcast kind of consumed my whole life. And mm-hmm. I, I was spending every single night on it. And um, last summer, he just kind of said, man, I feel like I've lost you. Like yeah. I, I never, we never really like hang out anymore. Mm. We don't really, we just kind of sit side by side and coexist, but yeah. we're not really communicating anymore. So from that point on, I was, I was like, oh crap. Like I, I didn't realize, but this thing has completely taken over every second of my spare time. Yeah. So from that point on, we really kind of had to make an, an effort. Like I, I decided, okay, Friday nights is going to be our night. We don't have family here. Obviously they're all yeah. in Australia. So 
we just spend our time together on Friday nights. And I feel like that has given us a little bit of balance back. But in order to counteract the time away from the podcast, I've just hired like more writers and more researchers to, to do that. And it, it's hard because I write in a certain style. Yes. And, you know, I always say I write, I write to eighth grade level. It's very simplistic writing and mm-hmm. I don't use big words with lots of syllables. It's very simple writing and it's Which hard. is a very, but that's also a very inclusive way to podcast. I think that there, it, it, it kind of transcends. I find it hard. I'm like one of those people that I love to read and stuff like that, but I can't tell you how many times I have to go and freaking Google the word that I just <laughs> read. I had this whole thing the other day about the word Fortnite. Cause I was like, Fortnite's a video game. Why the heck are they talking about Fortnite? And I had to like go and Google it and found out it meant two, two weeks. weeks. And I was like, why are we measuring <laughs> things in two weeks? That's not even a thing. Just measure it in one week or say two weeks. You would never just make a new word for two tablespoons, but yet here we are with Fortnite. Anyways. That's it. That's a British thing. It's Aussies a, doing again, too. it's the Brits. No offense. I, I had to get rid of that word because everyone would just stare at me blankly. What is that? <laughs> but I, I do like that you do that because it would make it a lot more inclusive for those who are who are listening of probably all different academic levels and stuff as well right. to be able to consume this content in a very easy way, right? Just to quote Michael Scott, like they explain it to me like I'm five, right? Like how many times <laughs> do we need that in life? It's kind of nice. Right. It's and not I, like five-year-olds are listening to crime podcasts, but still. They might be. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think also because, like I said, people do things while they're listening to podcasts. Yeah, true enough. It can't be something that they have to sit there and concentrate on. It has to be easy for them to understand. Yeah. So in doing that kind of writing, like people that are higher have to be able to get themselves to that kind of simple writing. And it's not as easy as you might think. So, you know, there's a lot of coaching and stuff Mm -hmm. that that has to be done. It's not easy as, yes, I have a writer. Send me the script and I'll go record it straight away. And I don't think podcasting in general is that easy. You know, I remember listening to, I think one of the most inspirational podcasts I ever listened to was actually a crime podcast and it was Up and Vanished. He literally starts the entire series with, I listened to Serial and I really liked it. And I thought, hey, I could do this. I'm going to go, there's a case that happened near my grandma's house. So I'm going to go somewhere that I have somewhere to stay. I'm going to cover this story. And I'm like, that is such a moment. Like that's something that I think we, we often talk ourselves out of a million times. And and it's kind of the same for you. Like you're consuming stuff and you're like, I really like this. I wish like, maybe I could do something like this. Yeah. And when you, when you heard it and you heard this podcast, you know what? It wasn't all together. A lot of people would complain that like the story just took forever to unfold and stuff like that, because he was truly doing this podcast in real time, week by week, putting this stuff together, never having done a podcast before. I think he had worked in film and stuff. So again, had a bit of experience, but what I took away from that was so incredible because not only did he just actually go for it and do this thing that he was like, I think I might want to try this. They solved the case during the time of the podcast. And this was a cold case. It was 12 years. And, you know, they figured it out. Like he, even just him putting pressure on the situation caused, you know, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who's not listening. <laughs> but it was so inspirational to me because I thought, how cool is that, that somebody can, that we're living a day and age where you're like, I think I might want to do this. And then we get to do it. Right. We get to be like, I wish I was a writer and you get to go be a writer. You can be a musician now and you can release your own music. Right. You can you can just decide, you can literally, anybody listening, you can decide tomorrow that you're a podcaster, you go get your little equipment and you're a podcaster. Like it is truly such an incredible time to be alive where we're given back that power. We're no longer like these people coming off of a plane being like, somebody give me a job. You can literally like, I've decided. Yeah. Which is so cool. Like, would you ever have imagined that this would be what it is today for you? No, absolutely not. And you're so right. Like, you know, it's not like you can just head up to a TV station and go, hey, I'm going to create a my own show. Yeah. Yeah, And now you have YouTube. You can make your own show. Right. It's incredible. The big production companies and the big media companies don't have the power that they used to have. No, it's true. And, you know, whenever someone like whenever they did create a show, you know, there there would be all these creative issues and, Mm -hmm. you know, the network would dictate how a show was going to go. But with these individual creators like myself, like I found my own platform. I do things the way I want to. No one is telling me how to do them. No one's telling me what kind of cases to cover. And, you know, I've gained an audience and I I, I agree with you. I think it's amazing. And and same with like YouTubers and Instagrammers. Oh, it's so incredible. People forget. And I think we've, we've gotten to this age of, you know, it can be, it can be difficult. Sometimes we see, you know, influencers in these, they're living these lives and 
they're so extravagant. There's so all these things, but I'm like, but can, can we just for a moment appreciate that we are in a day and age where a woman who is a stay-at-home mom or, you know, a student right out of college and, and somebody who loves to travel has this ability now to monetize in a way that we've never seen before, that the marketing companies have actually stopped going to like these bigger places and bigger platforms. And they're going to everyday people to create content and create marketing for them. We're in, and and it's so female dominated, not in the podcast space, not yet, but in terms of, let's say Instagram, it is so female dominated this economy that's happened. And and it's so, it's so remarkable to watch and to be witness to. And uh, yeah, I just find it, I always have to kind of remind myself of that every single time it kind of feels like overwhelming or weird or contrived. I'm like, we are in a day and age where we literally took back marketing and the, as consumers, we now determine, we determine what's in our news feeds. We determine what we watch. We determine what we stream. We're not, we're not consuming content the same way. And it pushed society and it pushed marketing into this new space of having to listen. Because if we could create an audience off of everyday things, then it kind of made, it kind of put pressure on them to start relating back to us and stop, you know, trying to just curate everything into something that we weren't or didn't relate to anymore. Right. So it's such, it's such an amazing time to be alive. And I really appreciate all, all of the creators out there and and what they truly have done, because I think it's, it's remarkable. And, And if it all went away tomorrow, we would have so much to our names. Like now you have like, you know, you talk about, you've, you're now a podcaster and you have all of this like other stuff, like in terms of that's the same as like radio and and you have all this experience, you know, people on Instagram, they forget like they're directors they're stylists, they're models, they're, right. they're writers, they're content creators, they're brand marketers. And, and, you know, that's, that's, what's going to be on our five page resume at the end of this, our pink <laughs> scented five page resumes at the end of this. You know it. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to talk about the crime thing a little bit more. Okay. <laughs> Why do you believe people love crime podcasts so much. Well, it all comes back to human interest stories. They're always the most popular mm-hmm. on any, and you know, newspapers, TV, the news, there's always human interest stories. And these are the worst ones, the absolute worst ones. This is where we find out the awful things that humans are doing to other humans mm. and, and why, you know? I wish we could understand the why a lot of I times, know. but- have, have you found it's been ever hard for you? I, I was yeah. like the most terrified child. So the fact that I consume crime podcasts, there was a bit of a consciousness that I had, like, am I going to just be terrified all the time? It hasn't happened for me, but you're in it, in it. Have you yeah. found that it freaks you out? Yeah, it doesn't freak me out. It makes me really sad. Mm. And as I've come along, I've, I unfortunately have gotten pretty desensitized at this point. So not a lot. I kind of compartmentalize. Yeah. Yeah, Compartmentalize. So I, I often don't let my brain get into Mm. that, that space where I think really deeply about why. And I, I ruminate on the sadness of it all and the tragedy, but occasionally I do. And, and then I get you know, it it kind of can drag me down a little bit. And then it kind of manifests itself in just extreme tiredness. Okay. I end up just going to bed. Are you an empath? No, no, you're not not consider myself to be. But I guess if you're this in, in this deep with the research and stuff like that, at some point, yeah, you would start to carry it. Yeah. Is there a certain case that you can recall or two that truly stuck with you? Yeah. I mean, Tori Stafford, um, Tori Stafford, that's the little girl that was Woodstock. Yeah, yeah, that's not far from here at all. Yeah, so I won't go into the case details because no, I don't okay. think it's appropriate yeah. for your audience unless you think it is. But I, they don't really tune in. Give it, to hear give these the bones of stories. it. Give the bones of it. Okay, so Tori Stafford. Tori was an eight-year-old girl, and she was abducted after when she was walking home from school by a man mm. and his girlfriend. And I won't go into the details, but. Uh, Her body was found three months later. It was a long search. It was a long search. And, you know, I decided to cover it fairly early on. And it was a three-part series. And it just, like, it was just horrendous. Yeah. And I I still remember when I was recording the part where I speak about what happened to her. And I just felt like I was having this surreal kind of out-of-body moment. Mm. But at the same time, I'm like, this is what it feels like for me who didn't even know Tori, who didn't know her family. Yeah. Imagine what it must have been like for her family to have to live this. 
And a hundred percent. And and it's funny because I was reading an article about crime podcasts, kind of in anticipation of knowing you were coming on and this balance between how families feel about them. And, you know, I remember with Serial, for instance, the victim's family was actually upset because they were like, this is our life. And it's been almost like glamour. People are talking about it. Like, you know, I think it was Haley who was killed and, you know, they talk about it and it, and it became so normalized to talk about her while other families are like, we love that, you know, their stories are being told and that this could potentially change the way this won't happen to another person or, or whatever it is. How have you found in the past, how have families responded? And has there ever been a time that you've had to scrap a story because of the family? Yeah. Uh, so very early on, like when I started, obviously I had imposter syndrome and I was yeah. like, I don't want to reach out to these families. True. Who am I like to, to go yeah. up to these poor families of murder victims and say, hey, I'm covering your stories. So at that point, I, I had a, a really uh, nice network of women, true crime podcasters, mm-hmm. and I still do that. They're, they're my best friends. I, I rely on them. We rely on each other. They said, you know, we generally don't reach out because you don't want to interrupt someone at their time of grief. You don't mm. know what stage yeah. of the process they're in. Yeah. And in a podcast like mine, where there's no new information, I'm not kind of you're not researching it. Well, I'm not. Yeah, I'm in not the same getting, way. Yeah. yeah, it's it's already existing information. Right. right? Yeah, because like when I'm listening to live, like I was listening to to live and die in L.A. and it starts with this girl who's missing, and he's literally doing research and reporting on it on the podcast as, as is actually is happening. So it's so interesting because he ends up being invited to like family things and stuff like that. He wove himself like into their family oh, wow. stuff on on both sides of this entire story, and I found that so fascinating that they were so open to that. But I think they liked that there was pressure being put onto the story when people honestly hadn't been listening before, where in your case, it's not so much live storytelling. It's still, it's telling a story that's already happened. It's already played out. It's accessible anywhere. And you're gathering that information and telling it in a way that, you know, people can connect to and understand. Yeah. And also there's a difference between unsolved cases and and solved cases, Mm -hmm. right? Unsolved cases, those families want the story out there in most cases. like, And do you do mostly unsolved? I do uh, mostly solved cases. I have done a couple of unsolved cases, but they usually have to go through some kind of criminal trial system. um, Okay. That's where I get the bulk of my information from from the trial. So I'm like, well, I'm covering solved cases. What, What can I possibly offer to these families if I reach out. Yeah. But early on, I think it was probably about case 11. I had planned on doing a case about a domestic homicide in uh, Atlantic Canada that someone had recommended uh, or suggested to me. I got up and I saw that the victim's brother was in the media. He was talking out, raising awareness about domestic homicide. And I'm like, okay, so this guy might be a good one to actually contact about his sister. And so I looked him up on Facebook and I messaged him And even though he'd been in the media talking and raising awareness, I got him at the exact wrong moment in time. Mm. And he said, you know, some things have happened since then. And now I'm in a situation where uh, I've kind of been brought back into things and I don't want to talk about it anymore. And he just kind of, he was really nice about it. He just kind of said that my contact had brought everything back up again. And I felt so terrible. And I was like, okay, I'm never doing this again. I'm never contacting a family member. But then like, so I scrapped the case. Yeah. I'm like, I can't do this. And I moved on to something else. But then I started a lot of listeners and a lot of people in the media started contacting me saying, why aren't you reaching out? How how dare you tell these people's stories without reaching out to them? So I'm stuck in this like, ah. Yeah, that's kind of a tricky, that's a good point. Yeah. And some listeners have actually been quite snarky about it. Um, okay on social media. So I'm like, oh, should I? Shouldn't I? I don't know. So it kind of puts you in a tricky position because you're putting in the work for something and determining on, you know, even if you went all the way down the line of like finishing it and one family member was like, I don't want you to put it out. That ends up putting you in a bit of an uncomfortable situation where you're like, well, I've kind of done the work. And at the same time, it's like, is it better to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission? Yeah. It's like, it's such a dance between the two. And like you said, you don't want to trigger people, but at the same time, like, uh, like how, yeah, like I can understand why that would be so tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. In the end, I decided to like probably in the last 10 cases or so, 
I've decided to start reaching out mm-hmm. to everybody involved mm-hmm. in the case. And it's just an initial contact. And if they choose to get back to me, great. If they don't, then great. If they don't want me to cover it, yes. I also give them that option yes. and they can come back and I will not cover it. It's been great to be able to provide quite a few families with an alternate method of getting their story across because often mainstream media will report facts wrong Mm -hmm. or report facts that the family doesn't particularly want out there. I guess because I'm not beheld by any media organization and I'm not a journalist, I can kind of tell the story in a from an angle that the family would like me to tell a story from. For sure. So I have done that on quite a few cases now and it's been really fulfilling. And I think at the moment I'm working on a case from Nova Scotia about a missing, it's it's kind of ties in with the missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. Ugh. And I'm uh, working with the sister of, of one of these women who, mm-hmm. who was murdered and, you know, she really wants to raise awareness of the the yeah. inquiry that came out a few months ago and yeah. the recommendations. So I'm kind of using my story of her sister's, you know, tragedy yeah. to raise awareness of what needs to be changed. So I know, and it's such a it's such a delicate balance because I find, especially when I'm listening to podcasts, it, it does one of two things. It almost like raises awareness about things that I didn't even think of before. And it can also raise your fear and anxiety. Like I noticed the other day, I had, I had listened to a crime junkies series and it was all talking about these, like, it was a, it was a, it was a child killing case. It it was a serial murderer. I don't know who it was again, but it was like all the children were found the same way and they'd been like clothed and bathed and like all of this stuff and found, it was like a, oh, I can't remember the name of it now, but it was like multiple children were found the exact same way. And it was, but they were all like cared for right before they died. I don't remember. It was like the something child killer. Anyways, but in listening to that, I was like, it was so fascinating because they they talked about it in a way that like these children were cared for and they were bathed and it didn't look like they had a fearful ending and stuff like that. But the moments that they were captured and taken were in such brief, normal moments, like a kid walking down the street to a corner store and coming right back home, like all of these little things. And and I'm in this age where my kids are, I'm starting to give them that independence. Yeah. And it's freaking rocked me a little bit, just, just enough where now I'm like, you're allowed to, but it's a buddy system, which we always pretty much have done, but it's completely changed the way. Cause I'm like, these kids were all like, a lot of them were very smart. They were even street smart and yeah. something happened. I don't know what it is. And, you know, we've seen so many studies. So I think when it comes to the kid cases, those are the ones that I'm like, it, it's raised a awareness for me, but it's also raised this, like, I'm almost hyper aware of stuff too. Like there isn't a lot of stories and, and of like just a straight up break and enter with my entire childhood. I was just afraid of people breaking and entering and like hurting us, like as a family or me as an individual. And as I go on and like listen to so many stories, you realize it's usually somebody that they knew or it's like completely random outside the home. Like it's not often that it's like this inside of the home attack. So I've been like, less and less nervous in that regard. But I find it so funny how many crime podcasts I listen to and, and they they advertise for home security systems. And I'm like, yep, 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 yep. But we're ordering all things like, <laughs> yeah, this is the audience. <laughs> this is the audience. Yeah. I, I just find it all so fascinating. Crime podcasts have literally just, I don't know, they're, like you said, they're, they're such a cool part of it. They're such a neat part of the human psyche and like why we've seen so many things kind of risen up in the last couple of years. Netflix has brought a lot of it, you know, making a murderer was a big one, covering a crime case from a different perspective and stuff as well. Then we had the Ted Bundy tapes and Mm. we have, there's like another one, Mindhunter on Netflix. So fascinating. And I think that there, there has to be some sort of a benefit to all of this as well, because one thing that I've noticed is how many people in telling their stories, there are things that they were aware of of somebody in their life. They knew that I listened to this one crime podcast and it was this, this man suddenly murdered his whole family. Like out of the blue, he also killed himself. But upon figuring out what had happened, his sister arrived on the scene and said, this isn't his first time. And they, everyone was like, what? Because he apparently had murdered his mother. He had tried to kill his father and tried to kill her, but he was a juvie when it happened. And he was put into care and his dad 
at some point felt bad that he was put into a mental institution, pulled him out of it. And he had secretly been a serial killer for this entire time, but it only came to this, this moment at the end when he killed his family and not to put the onus on the sister, not to put the onus on anybody else, but like the, the criminal was the criminal. Like he yeah. was who he was. But it has made me aware of how many people tell these stories. And when they're telling them, they're like, well, we did notice and we thought this was strange. And we there were there was behavior things around that. And yet it didn't cause a speak out and it didn't cause like a pushback or just like taking that extra measure. So as much as I find it all fascinating, it's also really taught me a lot about just like trusting your instincts a little bit. And, you know, if you're having those feelings or if you're not super comfortable with that family member or, or whatever that might be, it's actually made me think about it a little bit more and take pause on it and, and trust myself a little bit more. And just cause you hear these stories and it's gutting to hear afterwards where they're like, well, we had a bad feeling. We didn't act. And this is what happened. Agreed. Agreed. Right? And yeah, I, I feel like a lot of these true crime podcasts are bringing awareness to the kinds of situations that mm-hmm. can happen and the kinds of things that people do. And just like your last episode with the human trafficking thing, <sighs> like, wow, I had no idea. Freaking right down the road. Yeah. that Like that's a true crime podcast episode right there. I mean. <laughs> it's unreal. Not, but and and I, what I found about interesting about that, and a lot of times when I listen to these true crime stories, I'm like, why did we never hear about this in the news? And you realize more and more, especially like the indigenous groups, you know, a lot of missing black women. We see it with anybody who's not like a high profile. It wouldn't end up being a high profile case because the media doesn't pick it up. They like pick and choose who they do. Sex workers are often a big one as well. They're just which like yes, call them sex workers. Most likely they're being human trafficked. Now that I've learned that, yeah, I didn't know either. Either. And people are like, we're not there. Those stories aren't getting headlined in the same way. No. And I find that so devastating. So it, it is really interesting to hear and to see that again, to, in terms of like taking back the media and taking back yeah. the content we create and the content that we read, we're getting to hear the stories of people who the media didn't pay attention to all those years ago, or even currently like now in age, I used to watch like Nancy Grace. It was always like, you know, young white women going missing. And it was like, it was kind of devastating after a while that you're like, where, and and you understand like, why was this pushback? Where are the people of color? Why are we not fighting in the same way? We just watched this whole case go down in the States with that woman, Amber, who broke into a a black man's home and shot and killed him. (laughs) And then they were like, (gasps) like, she she almost, she got off with a very, very light sentence, a very light sentence. And I'm like, it is not equal in the world of crime and justice. And I do love that podcasts have kind of brought this a, a little bit more attention to some of these lesser told stories and the ones that truly need to be told, especially yeah. in Canada with the indigenous groups and the indigenous people, because they have, it's happened so, so much. I know it's crazy. It, it's absolutely it, insane. It really is like they called it a genocide and it is like 2,800 Indigenous women and girls. Yeah. That was the number. And yeah, it's just nuts. It is nuts. I Do wish you, I could cover more of these cases, but yeah. that's it's not my shtick to just yeah. cover one of kind course, of case. Of course, no. And do you find like, are you ever running out of cases or are there always oh, ones? Oh God, no. I, There's I, so many. Yeah, it's crazy. I have about 700 <gasps> case suggestions on my I've got this giant spreadsheet. Oh my gosh. And I, so I go through this spreadsheet and then I kind of comb it for different kinds of cases from different locations. And then I have like a short list. And from there, I select which cases I'm going to cover and my writers choose from that list as well. So it, no, we are never going to run out of cases. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good and bad news, I guess. I was it's, like, I, know. I, I think we just think Canada is just like the most peaceful place in the world. <laughs> and it's lovely. We, we don't really have gun crimes and stuff like that, that often. But I mean, we still do have serial killers. We still have had these like really crazy things that have happened right here in our backyard. I mean, that's why there's something interesting about listening to one that kind of happens in in the world that you're used to, because it opens your eyes to, you know, not that we're not safe, but just it makes you more aware of like, we're not completely like immune to it. We're not immune to like the same types of crimes that we see often. Americans always forget that Canadians literally can 
consume American content. Oh, like yeah. our news is American news. It's it's rare that we get a high profile Canadian case that'll ever go onto American channels. So I love that you kind of do that. So what is kind of next for you? You've done some, so you do some live shows and meet and greets you've done. Yeah, I was, I was in Chicago in um, July for the True Crime Podcast Festival. So, and I went there's to- There's a festival? Yeah, there's a festival. Oh my gosh, I it's need going to go. It's going to be in Kansas City, Missouri <gasps> next year. So I'll be Ooh. going there. I went to CrimeCon in 2018. I've done two live shows in Toronto. You know, I'm a, I'm a big time introvert. So getting yeah. out is kind of- not really something that I want to be doing all the time. Yep. <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm pretty kind of choosy about things that I, I will go to and not saying that I am invited to a whole bunch of yep. stuff, but you know, a whole bunch of us that like we all attend a whole bunch of different crime events. Yeah. And, and so I've decided that the true crime podcast festival is the place where I belong. Um, so I go, I'll go to that every year. But other than that, like What's next for me? I don't know. I often think like, where is this going? Who like, cares? Take the ride. Yeah. Who knows where it's going? Like it's that going attitude. so well. <laughs> I, I always, it's funny because I always ask that question, but I hate that question myself. Everyone's like, what's next for you? I'm like, every time I even think on that, it stresses me out. Yeah. So I just, I'm trying to enjoy it. Like who, who cares what's next? Like it's truly every single, every single stage can be something new. And, and you never know, like as much as I love everything I'm doing right now, I have to also have to honor the fact that maybe one day I won't. And maybe right. one day I won't want to do it anymore. And same with like the podcast. There might be a time where you're like, you know what? I've, I've really fulfilled. I've really scratched this itch. Yeah. I might be done. And that's, you know, completely fair to kind of say and to feel. But usually I think once you kind of like open this kind of door or window into these types of things, it kind of just like, it's like explosions and it's excitement and it can be, I kind of right. find like I get renewed in my love for things over and over again, which is kind of like marriage Same. or anything else in your life. You have these like moments where it's like, oh, it feels like a bit of a grind to be doing this. And then there's other ones where you're like, this is incredibly exciting. And I can't believe that I'm getting the opportunity to do some of these things. So it's kind of a bit of both, right? I love that you said that because- that is my experience too. Mm. And, you know, I don't, I wouldn't say that I love it and I have the passion for it that yeah. I used to because just because it's so all consuming. Yeah. And because there's a lot of listeners that are very demanding yes. and, you know, the, they love the haters stuff. and stuff and yeah. it gets hard to deal with. But at the end of the day, I still get an enormous amount of satisfaction mm. from producing these episodes. So as long as I continue to get that sense of satisfaction, I will I will continue doing that. And um, what you were saying earlier about managing my mental health is like, I still suffer from depression and anxiety. So I am still medicated. Thank mm -hmm. God. Yep. Um, I know medication doesn't work for everyone, but nope. it works for me perfectly. So happy to hear that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, having a really strong support network yeah. really helps. So my my group of women, true crime podcasters, we you know we have a Facebook group and we're always there for each other. That I love it's that. No, it's not a competition. We're, we're supportive. And I'm, I'm a big advocate of women supporting women. Yes. And they mean the world to me. And I don't know where I'd be without them to kind of run things by and bounce things off and yeah. talk about our challenges and how our mental health is. Because we all have these stages where it's like, oh, it's just getting too much. It's way too heavily. Oh, I love so, that. Yeah. I, I, I have a couple pockets of people like that. And it always kind of blows me away because I think in the society that we're in, and especially with women, I always kind of have to remind myself, it's it's the way that we've been constructed to feel because, you know, in the business world, the, the stats show that it's like six men to one women yeah. at the top. And so if there's only one spot there, we really feel pitted against each other. Yeah. And we have shows like, you know, The Bachelor and stuff like that, where we feel pitted against yeah. each other. And it, it's just this constant, we, are, we already do it. We're already so comparative by nature. It really takes a special type of intentionality and relationship to push all of those like instinctual feelings sometimes aside. I mean, I still get it. I have friends who are in the podcast world and sometimes they have like incredible episodes and I'm like, damn, I wish I was that good. But then I'm like, but then that's kind of negating what I've done and, and what I'm doing too. And I, I never want to yeah. be distracted from my own, you know, my own thoughts and my own flow of consciousness and, and whatever that is too. And I think when we truly support each other, it actually makes us better creators yes. and it actually helps each other grow. I like to describe it to people. as like, if you're on your own and you're doing your own thing, sure, you have this pool of people that you're talking to, but when you band hands with somebody else in the same industry and you 
you work together, you start reaching your hands into both pools and you now suddenly take your communities and you build them up into each other's because especially in the podcast space, like, I'm sorry, but like, we can only listen to so much. And at the same time, there's so much available. So why not support your friends and make sure that theirs are getting listened to and supported and, and supporting each other through it? Because I mean, even my favorite episodes, they only have like, or my favorite podcasters, they only have one episode a week max. So I only have one hour of that content. I'm going to need like three hours a day. So we're going to fill those spots. We're going to make sure it's like good stuff. But yeah, I actually have to say like you were incredibly supportive of me, like straight out when you, you emailed me and, and we're really kind. And, and I mean, you're such a big podcaster. So it meant a lot when you came and we're like, Oh, well, I don't know. You're super nice. And there's a lot to be said for that in terms of like women supporting women, especially in a, in a space where podcasting women is, is a low, I think it's 22%, 22% of podcasters are women. So we're out there, we're out there. And I think that number is growing. And, and I want, I really want people to kind of take away from this is how, incredibly amazing an opportunity we have that somebody who's straight off a plane in Australia comes to Canada, (laughs) falls in love with crime podcasts and just freaking starts her own. Like that is self-made in its entirety. It's so, so beautiful. And I love, I love what you're doing. Tell everybody where they can find you and where they can start binge listening if they haven't already. <laughs> There's going to be some people who are listening to this and be like, I know exactly who this is. Like the second <laughs> you hear your voice, it's like, oh yeah. Tell me all the crime stories. Uh, well, just look for Canadian true crime. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm not a great social media person. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I focus my attention on the podcast, but yeah. I and just, apparently a full-time job and kids and a husband, like, holy. Yeah, I mean, it's you a bit can busy. see the, the bags under my eyes. The under-eye concealer works <laughs> <The> double time. <laughs> <laughs> they're just, just, somebody says like that line of, oh, my under, my bags under my eyes, they're designer. And it's like, well, yeah, life designed oh, that for me too. God. <laughs> Okay. Canadian true crime podcast. You guys have got to listen to it. If you are, have never listened to a crime podcast before, this is a great way to start because they're individual stories told in episodes and they're highly digestible stories and often with disclaimers, which is really nice as well. I love that you do that. And, um, yeah, if you have never listened to one before, this is exactly where to start. You are going to love it. And if you are a huge crime podcast junkie, person, nerd like me, um, go and enjoy. It's going to make those dishes so much better. It's going to make those walks outside so much better. It's going to make the gym better. It's going to make that drive to Toronto that God help me is such a disaster. Thank you so, so much. Thanks for coming. Thanks for sharing your whole story from, you know, coming over here, imposter syndrome, literally your mental health, your motherhood, your ability to self-create. I think it's so inspirational and I just have loved nerding out with you on this. So thank Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. And I just want to say, like, I discovered you. I've only discovered you for a couple of months. No way. No, I saw you. I'm like, oh, this girl, like, I've just felt like your message really resonated with me. Oh, I'm really glad. That's why I reached out to you because I just just think you're amazing. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. We're having a moment. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I didn't actually realize how massive you were. Oh, (laughs) I'm like, oh my God, she's I don't even think I know. I know. But like, I don't even think of that. You'd think it would feel like such a big deal and it just hasn't. It feels very, I'm very honored. I'm very honored. I feel very blessed, but I'm glad I have kids that keep me humble and remind me every day how uncool I am. Same. It's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, thank you so much. Everyone check out Canadian True Crime and until next week. Well, friends, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For more information on this episode, check out the show notes or find us on Instagram at The Papaya Podcast. And if you loved what you just listened to or know somebody who would, please share it. Simply screenshot today's episode in the podcast app and share it to your Instagram stories. And don't forget to tag us. Last but not least, if you'd like to lend your personal support to the podcast, take a moment and leave a review on iTunes. We would be oh so grateful. Tune in next week for a fresh new episode of the Papaya Podcast, and we'll see you then.